there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to another episode of the SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, I've got a great conversation with Keith Idex, senior writer over at BoxingScene.com. Keith and I talk about the latest in the Canelo negotiations, Teofimo Lopez. He is balking at Top Rank's offer to fight Vasily Lomachenko. We talk a little Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones. And are we buying an Adrian Broner return to the 135-pound division? All that and more with Keith Idek. A little bit later on, Carl Frampton, the former two-division champion, he is scheduled to return to the ring on August 15th. I talked to Carl about his preparations for this fight during a pandemic, as well as how he feels about Jamel Herring and the possibility of fighting Herring for the 130-pound title a little bit later in the year. So stick around for that. Great talk with Carl Frampton. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, there is one very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Keith Idek. All right, Keith Idek is here, senior writer, BoxingScene.com, friend of the podcast, recording from his basement in New Jersey. What's up, Keith? Hey, Chris, what's going on? So you were uh, just my, telling from me my before, office in New Jersey, but yeah, from, from <laughs> your office, from your office yes. where you didn't have power, right? Like, is that what you just telling me? Not. Like the yeah, tropical yeah. storm took you out this week? Yeah, just uh, we didn't have it for about uh, fifteen or sixteen hours, or so came back on early this morning, thankfully. But I bet your phone still rings and Rick Reno still calls. Absolutely, that that never stops. As long as the phone is functional, that never stops. You know. <laughs> that's my guy man come on <laughs> there you go there you go rick reno boxing scene um all right keith let's jump into a few topics here and i want to begin with canelo alvarez 
And we are now into August. And the scheduled date for Canelo to fight, uh, his return fight was September 12th, that I guess is still September 12th. But that's looking less realistic by the day. You've got opponents out there saying they're ready to fight Canelo from top-level guys like Callum Smith to lower-level guys like Jay Quigley and Turiano Johnson. Meanwhile, there seems to be some kind of standoff here between DeZone and Golden Boy. You had Greg Smith, the lawyer for Canelo Alvarez, coming out and saying, we're just waiting on DeZone to fulfill its obligations. Oscar De La Hoya had something comparable to say. What do you make of the drama, which seems like yearly drama, with Canelo Alvarez? Boy, drama is the right word, Chris. I think uh, both sides are frustrated with uh, the partnership at this point. Uh, I understand it from both perspectives. I can see Canelo's point. You signed me to a contract where I'm supposed to make this this amount of money for each fight. If you have regrets about that contract, that's your problem, not mine. So I, I see it from that perspective. I also see it from DAZN's perspective in that if we're going to pay you in excess of $30 million, even if they've cut the fee a little bit, uh, than it normally is. It's still going to be in excess of $30 million overall to pay his opponent, him and Golden Boy. They're going to want to fight better than Toriano Johnson, Jason Quigley. No, no offense to those guys. I mean, you you know, they need something better than that. And Sergey Drevinchenko, of course, is off the table now because he's fighting Jamal Charlo. Um, you know, I would like to see him fight Callum Smith, as I'm sure you would. It would le- give Canelo at least an opportunity to an opportunity to legitimize himself as a 168 pound champion. Callum Smith is undefeated. Of course, he didn't look great in his last fight against John Ryder, but um, I, I would like to see that uh, above anything else at this point that's available. You know, I, I was interested in seeing him fight Billy Joe Saunders. That's now off the table. Um, but Billy Joe Saunders gets up and down for his levels of competition. And I think he would have given Canelo a reasonably good fight. I don't think he would win. I don't think Callum Smith would win either, but, I think both of those fights are at least interesting. Um, but from DAZN's perspective, if they're going to pay this kind of money for Canelo Alvarez, they're not going to pay for low-level fights just to keep him busy, in effect. Uh, so that's a real standoff right now. And, and I know the fight, uh, I'm sure you feel the same way, Chris, the fight is not going to happen September 12th. Um, there's no magical uh, reason for this to happen September 12th. I mean, he fights on Mexican Independence Day weekend because they draw big crowds in, in Las Vegas. A lot of Mexican people come there, buy tickets to his fights, have a great time. They can't have fans at the fight, so it really doesn't matter if the fight's September 12th or October 19th or whatever it might be. I have a feeling the fight will be in October or November, whomever he fights. Um, and it's, it's going to be interesting here because it's getting ugly because, as you said, his, Canelo's attorney is making public statements against his own criticizing the zone. Um, you know, I've heard from people internally at the zone that they're, you know, they want a good fight and they, and, and they've given them enough money where they feel they should be able to go make it happen and figure it out. What do you think is the biggest obstacle to making the Callum Smith fight right now? I mean, I, I'm assuming it's money, but how significant yeah. do you think the gap is? Because I'm with you. Callum Smith is, you know, maybe not a super fight, but you can make a strong argument. He's the top 168-pounder in the world. Canelo's going to return at 168 pounds with that secondary title that he won off Rocky Fielding. Uh, Callum Smith, as recently as this past weekend, has been very public about wanting that fight. I mean, how big a gap is there between what Callum Smith wants and what Golden Boy and, by extension, DAZN is willing to offer? 
I think the gap is small enough that they can close it and finalize the deal. Ultimately, I believe that Callum Smith will be reasonable about this. I think he, he's not going to make anywhere near the amount of money that he'll make to fight Canelo Alvarez to fight anyone else. It'll be substantially more than his minimum, you know, more than twice what his minimum is uh, for his contract with Eddie's, Eddie Hearn and, uh, and Matchroom Boxing. Uh, so if he's going to get double his minimum with the understanding that we are in a pandemic and, and some things have changed financially with some revenue streams unavailable at this point, I think Callum Smith will be reasonable. And I'm not saying he's being unreasonable. You want to make the most amount of money possible for what will be the biggest fight of your career. Um, and he has some internal knowledge of what you get paid to fight Canelo Alvarez because his brother fought him, of course. So, um, so he's not looking to get shortchanged here, but I think they will come to an agreement on this fight because honestly, I don't see DAZN, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of the same things, Chris. I don't see DAZN approving an opponent like Jason Quigley, Toriano Johnson, or anyone like that because it's just not the type of fight that is going to bring subscribers back to the fold or satisfy subscribers who've maintained or frozen their subscriptions uh, throughout the pandemic or whatever. So they need a fight that's really going to generate some buzz and some interest and Callum Smith is just the type of opponent to do that. And I, I have this argument with Sergio Mora all the time. Sergio believes that the Mexican audience will tune into Canelo no matter who he fights. And I, I vigorously disagree. I mean, I, I think you can't just throw Canelo out there against a vastly inferior opponent and expect his fans to come back and watch him by the hundreds of thousands. I don't see that happening. So I think Callum Smith... Um, not in, on September 12th. I think you probably want to give it a little more cushion to promote an event like that and maybe you know cross your fingers and wonder if by October, maybe November, you can get uh, fans in the stands and get that revenue stream or some of that revenue stream uh, back for a fight like that. But I think that's the fight that ultimately has to happen. When it comes to Canelo's relationship with the zone and Golden Boy's a part of this as well, I think where they all really screwed up is not making the Golovkin fight last September. I mean, that was the fight to make and the time to make it. Golovkin was coming off a win over Steve Rolls. He knocked him out. He had some momentum. Canelo had just outpointed Danny Jacobs. He had some more momentum. Making that fight in September would have satisfied an obligation that Golden Boy has to DAZN to make that fight and would have gotten DAZN off Canelo's back about that fight because that's the fight that they need to have happen on the platform. You need to have... Canelo Golovkin three and you know if Golovkin somehow wins maybe Canelo Golovkin four uh, down the line that's why DeSone brought these two fighters into the fold that it didn't happen in September I think is bleeding into all this now in other words if Canelo had fought Golovkin in September I do think and it's just my opinion I do think that DeSone would be a little more lenient in who he fought during this pandemic in September because that fight had already been provided for them. Chris, I agree. I, I, I mean, honestly, there's plenty of blame to go around, uh, but it's utterly ridiculous that we're still talking about that fight not having happened. The third fight between them is why both of those guys got nine-figure contracts uh, from DAZN. You know, Canelo's a much younger fighter, so obviously has a longer shelf life, even though he has a lot of fights for a 30-year-old fighter. You know, still has some physical prime left. He's, he's the biggest star in the sport. Uh, biggest active star in the in in the United States, anyways. The biggest active star in the sport. Uh, Gennady Golovkin obviously has star power of his own, but he's 38 years old. The longer they wait for this fight, I think the more it's to Canelo Alvarez's advantage. 
And I just can't believe that we're still talking about this fight not having happened. It's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, a lot, again, a lot of blame to go around. The zone should have gotten, you know, John Skipper should have gotten it in writing that these guys would fight. I mean, there's no, unfortunately, that was a mistake that was made. If you don't have contracts that state they're going to fight each other, you're running into this situation now. And, and now you have Gennady Golovkin demanding that the zone honor his contract. And, and from his perspective, rightfully so. You know, he, he's going to fight Camille Zarameta, which is a fight no one wants to see. But he, and he's going to be paid, a, you know, an eight-figure sum for that fight. That's not good business for the zone. Uh, so, you know, I understand why they would want him to fight Canelo instead. But he's standing his ground on what he feels is an, an agreement that should be honored. Um, so, so here we are, so, still talking about this fight not happening. It, it's incredible. It really is because, you know, the older Golovkin gets, I think the less competitive the fight will be. Yeah, and and for DAZN, it's it's not so much about the outcome of the fight. It's about what people think about the fight going into it, right? Because that's what drives subscribers, people to watch. It's like, I mean, the the Derevchenko fight was a fight of the year. It was great, but I don't think it drove people to watch in the buildup because Derevchenko, even though he had one very good fight against Daniel Jacobs was something of an unknown commodity. DAZN needs people to be excited about Golovkin versus Canelo. They need people to believe that Golovkin versus Canelo is a competitive fight. Now, maybe they will in January or February or even next May if Golovkin comes out some point this fall and just clobbers Camille Zarameta, which is possible. Like, I, I mm-hmm. Zarameta is not a power puncher. Golovkin's not going to have anything coming back at him so we can just attack and see red and go out there and pick up a knockout. So maybe that will build some momentum for the fight. But if for some reason Golovkin struggles in that fight, even if he wins... I'm not sure what to make of Canelo Golovkin in 2021. I don't know if the buzz will even, if there'll be any buzz for that fight in 2021. Yeah, it, the Zaramata can fight can serve a real purpose, Chris, in that if Golovkin goes in there and blows him out, it will make the Alvarez fight seem more attractive because, you know, it'll say, oh, well, you know, he, Derevianchenko is a lot better than people maybe realize, that, although I don't know why they wouldn't have realized that because of the Daniel Jacobs fight. I'm, I'm not saying anyone expected the dogfight that we saw last October 5th, but, you know, I don't know why people would have underestimated Derevianchenko going into that fight. But um, so so I'm not criticizing him for that because he fought an elite middleweight and it was a very close fight. You know, it probably could have gone either way. Uh, but, you know, if he beats Zarameta the way that I think that he can, it will help the zone's cause, but it'll be very costly. You know, in and, and an environment where you're trying to save money, you're trying to behave responsibly with, with the money that's available. Um, you know, spending 15 ish million dollars on Gennady Golovkin, uh, Camille Zarameta is not a good investment. Um, and, and, but it's something that they're stuck with contractually. And I think that they're going to wind up honoring. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Zarameta Golovkin happens at some point, uh, in the next three months, Canelo will fight somebody in the next three months. And, if you're DAZN, the just the best outcome possible, I guess, is if Canelo scores a big knockout, Golovkin scores a big knockout, you know, the pandemic lifts by the time we get to early next year and you can have that fight. But it is costly to your point, and there is a pretty big risk. Uh, speaking of costly, 
Teofimo Lopez, Vasily Lomachenko. This was a fight that, you know, top rank had targeted for early October. Uh, it's a fight that they had on the books before the pandemic hit. Uh, it's a fight that I think a lot of people expected to be made relatively easily. Uh, top rank got through the Lomachenko side, it seems like, uh, fairly quickly with his side of the deal. But here we are with Teofimo Lopez, who has balked at taking Top Rank's original offer for that fight. Obviously, the offer was lower than what it has been, uh, what it was in the past, because there is no live gate for this fight. At least there's not expected to be. So the finances have changed. But Lopez seems pretty dug in that he's not going to take this fight at the offer Top Rank made. You've spoken to Bob Aaron recently. You've, spoke, you've covered this story pretty extensively. I mean, where are we? Do Are we optimistic, pessimistic about this fight happening? Well, I'd have to be pessimistic at this point, Chris, in that if I'm Teofimo Lopez, I'm not ex- I'm not accepting a package in the neighborhood of $1.2 million. It's a, overall, altogether, it's a little more than that, uh, but not much more than that. So if I'm him, I'm not fighting Lomachenko for that money. Uh, and I understand where Aram is coming from. He's not going to lose money on the event. He can only pay, you know, he has to satisfy Lomachenko's contractual Obligate, you know, the obligation he has to uh, Lomachenko, who, from what I've been led to believe, has accepted a little bit less than his contractual minimum for this fight. Um, but he's still making cl- between three point five and four million dollars in, in that in that area. Um, so he's making three times as much as Lopez would under what's been proposed. Uh, so credit to Lomachenko for not demanding his minimum and saying, I won't fight unless you pay me the minimum for what would be a big fight. But I also understand it from Teofimo Lopez's perspective. This is the biggest fight of his career. Now I know he's not looking at it as a fight he can lose, but it is a fight that he could lose. And so he should be paid. If I'm him and I know that uh, Shakur Stevenson uh, was going to be paid somewhere around a million dollars to fight Miguel Mariaga, I would like to know why I'm going to be paid $200,000 more or maybe a little bit more than that to fight arguably the best fighter in the sport. So he, so I see it from both perspectives. There's no easy answer because some of the revenue streams have been removed from the mix here. And Dave McWhorter, uh, uh, Lopez's manager said something to Steve Kim yesterday that he understands that where Aram's coming from. He's not blaming it solely on Aram, but he's basically saying if ESPN really wants this fight, they're going to have to come up with more money or Teofimo Lopez is going to fight someone else next. Yeah, and one way that ESPN money could come in, I would suppose, is if the college football season winds up getting scrapped. Because if college football is out on Saturday nights, ESPN is going to need tentpole programming on a very visible evening of the week. And there's not a lot of options out there. I mean, you're not going to put baseball yeah. on there. Uh, the NBA is going to be back, but you know who knows what their schedule is going to look like uh, in uh, in September, and certainly they're done in mid-October. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think ESPN may have to strongly consider, you know, guaranteeing a little bit more money in that contract. But it's tough for them too. It's tough for every network that's yeah. out there as they hemorrhage cash uh, with this pandemic kind of ongoing. Let me ask you this: Is is a solution to this putting the fight on pay-per-view? I mean, I don't want to see the fight on pay-per-view. I think it's better off being on ESPN Linear, gets more eyeballs. It's the biggest fight of the year or one of the biggest fights of the year, certainly, uh, at this point. Is putting it on pay-per-view and 
telling Lopez if it does well, we'll give you more money. Is that a, a possible solution? It's a possible solution, Chris, but it's very risky from Lopez's perspective because, frankly, I don't think the fight would do well on pay-per-view. It's a great fight. I want to see it. One of the biggest fights in the sense that from a matchup perspective, it's one of the biggest fights of the year. From a commercial perspective, it isn't because Lomachenko is not a proven pay-per-view commodity and neither is Tiafimo Lopez. So it's it's an alternative for sure. And it might ultimately be the way that the fight is is offered on pay-per-view. ESPN Plus is another route they could go. I mean, it's a $5 per month uh, service, so it's a lot cheaper for fans and it'd be much happier if it was on ESPN Plus. But that, then the ESPN would, of course, have to absorb a lot of the costs. And speaking to what you mentioned, Chris, I, I'm a big college football fan. I believe you are as well. Um, you know, you, you don't want to see an entire season get canceled. But if you're a boxing fan and you don't really care about college football, you want the college football season to be postponed, you know, canceled or postponed or whatever because there would be a lot more money available to ESPN and in turn a lot more money available to Lomachenko, Lopez, Bob Arum, and everyone involved in this fight. And I think we could see the fight. If the college football season is canceled, we will see that fight on ESPN, I believe. Uh, live on the network. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, nobody likes to see my Boston College Eagles go 7-5 and five and ah. make the uh, <laughs> Meineke Car Care Bowl as much as uh, as I do. So yeah, I'm hoping it, it continues. But certainly, um, we saw as we record this, UConn became the first FBS school to yes. uh, cancel its season. So that may be just the first domino to fall. I mean, we don't need to get into a whole you know, trip down the COVID lane, but uh, mm. we've seen in boxing, it's not easy to keep the virus out, even in bubble-like environments. And you're talking oh. about kids in, in school, and that's that's even more difficult than playing a sport. It's a lot of contact, a lot of possibility for sure. uh, for sharing this. So your, your gut feeling at this point when it comes to Lopez and Lomachenko with the information uh, that you have would be what? My gut feeling is, is that the college football season is going to be at least postponed. Uh, probably canceled if I had to guess, because he, even here in New Jersey, Chris, not to go down a college football rabbit hole, but here in New Jersey, there was a massive outbreak on the Rutgers college football team. That's going to happen in, in a lot of programs. So I, I don't really see the college football season happening because as you said, these are amateur athletes. Technically there, there are not going to be students on campus. So how do you have a college football season when students aren't, you know, students aren't allowed on campus, but players are allowed to play. That's a kind of a strange message to send. So I would expect that the college football season will be scrapped in, in some form, and then we will see the Lomachenko-Lopez fight on ESPN. They're negotiating publicly for now, which I know Bob Arum uh, would prefer not to happen, but but that's part of the business, and it, and it happens sometimes. So, uh, so I think they'll wait a little bit longer. And, and again, there's no – they shouldn't be married to October 3rd, just like the zone shouldn't be married to September 12th or Canelo – so I think there's some, especially if there's no college football season, you could put it on any Saturday in October, theoretically. So I think we will ultimately see that fight. Lopez will get closer to, if not what he's looking for. And thankfully, I think we'll see that fight sometime in the fall. You know, along those lines, I mean, we are immersed in a pandemic right now. Uh, unemployment has spiked. You know, people don't have the disposable income that maybe they'd had this time last year or even earlier this year and yet you know boxing weirdly the only way to make significant fights might be to put these fights on pay-per-view i mean we've seen showtime with their schedule 
their significant fights, all of them are on pay-per-view. Same thing with Fox, what we know about its schedule at this point. Its significant fights are going to be on pay-per-view. Uh, I wonder how they'll do. I mean, at some point, uh, you know, so even the almost ardent of boxing fans gets, you know, pay-per-view buying fatigue, just doesn't have the 60 70 $80, whatever it costs to put up money for these types of fights. But, you know, financially, the only way to get significant fights to happen might be to put them on pay-per-view. It's a weird kind of, I don't know what the word is, but it's a weird setup the way it is right now with, you know, no crowds and box need to maximize income going to pay-per-view, but fans maybe not having as much money to spend on the pay-per-views. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's a slippery slope there, Chris, because you want to be uh, understanding to people who are having tough times financially during a pandemic. And, you know, and your heart goes out to people who don't have their jobs you know, boxing fans, non-boxing fans, of course. I mean, you, you feel terrible for people who don't have, you know, money to pay their bills, let alone disposable income to use on pay-per-view fights. But the reality is that some of these fights would not happen, will not happen if they're not on the pay-per-view platform because the fighters have a certain expectation because of the market that's been established. And they're not going to do it for what's available within the budget of, say, Showtime or Fox or well, the zone's not a pay-per-view platform, but um, ESPN, you know, the, 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 the money is not available in the budgets to put those shows on either basic cable or premium cable, or in the case of Fox, free TV, which would be the best case scenario. Um, so the fights have to go to pay-per-view. And, and I, look, it's a risk for everyone involved because Jamal Charlo and Jermel Charlo, while polarizing guys that draw reactions from fans – who are in very difficult fights that they could lose, um, they're not proven pay-per-view commodities. So this is a risk for everyone involved. They're getting their guarantees, of course, but they're being paid percentages of the upside. Uh, same goes for Javante Davis, who you know, they think will be the, a pay-per-view star, another very polarizing guy who knocks people out. Um, you know, He's fighting an established fighter who is, while a big underdog, a proven commodity because he's won world titles and four weight classes. And, uh, you know, but, but it's very risky, Chris, I agree with you because you run into the, this problem where you're having entirely too many pay-per-views in a very short span, which is why it would be best for ESPN to put Lomachenko Lopez on the network or worst case scenario, putting it on ESPN plus as opposed to ESPN pay-per-view. Um, but yeah, you really run the risk of, of fatigue. You know, people are just, people are not going to every week or every other week, down $75 to watch a boxing match on pay-per-view. And as you well know, Chris, some people just steal all of them and it doesn't make a difference to them. What, what do you think that ESPN and Fox and by extension Top Rank and PBC are thinking when it comes to Wilder and Fury? Because the target date, at least for now, is mid-December. You put that fight in mid-December, it will come at the end of a long line of pay-per-views. And look, that fight underachieved the first time there's reason. There's plenty of reason to believe it would underachieve again based on the result of that uh, that second fight between Wilder and Fury. Add all that together. I mean, do you think there's any possibility we could see that fight kicked to some point early next year to get away from this pay per view cycle, or do you think they'll just put it on at the first available date that they believe they can get fans back in a building? It's a weird scenario, Chris, in that doing a pay per view six days before Christmas is in, in normal times, moronic, 
That's another good point. Yeah, the the holiday you know, between yeah. Thanksgiving and Christmas. After all these papers, it's like everything is working against them right. for that date. Right, and they're they're talking about December nineteenth. It's literally six days before Christmas. I you know people might be traveling to Las Vegas or doing things that they don't ordinarily do the week before Christmas because things might be freed up by then. But based on the trends of COVID-19, I have no reason to believe that by Dece- I know December is still four, you know, it's still four plus months away, but I have no reason to believe that fans are going to be allowed at the fight by then. My best guess, and of course I'm just guessing here, is that that fight will be pushed in sometime into 2021. And then you run the risk of the guys being rusty because they won't have fought for so long. I mean, you know, if you, if you put that fight in February, of course you're running up to a year from the time they previously fought not ideal for either guy um, for better for Deontay Wilder because he had surgery on his biceps and um, you know, it gives him time to recover and whatever training changes he's making in terms of personnel or training tactics. I mean, it gives him more time to get ready for the fight and it'll be healthier, but, um, but yeah, December 9th, December 19th, December 12th, whichever date they pick there, I think is asking for trouble because as you said, Chris, it's at the end of, a very long pay-per-view cycle, which will include at least probably four pay-per-views before Wilder Fury 3. It's a bad idea. Um, I understand the urgency to do it because contractually this fight is owed to both guys. Uh, so they want to get it off the book, so to speak. But um, December 19th, sometime in December there, does not seem realistic to me. Yeah, I feel like somebody whoever is guaranteeing all the money, whether it's the promoters or the networks in the second or the third fight, I should say, uh, somebody might take a big bath financially. If, if those guarantees are significant, that can they, be pretty they, big. And Chris, they took a big bath with the second one. <laughs> I mean, you know? I guess I mean, a but, bigger one. It's just, right. I mean, know. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how big the bathtub is going to get, but uh, you know, uh, you, but top rank lost a lot of money on that fight. Al Heyman lost a lot of money on that fight. Um, they promoted it really as well as they could have. And I think they were disappointed that it did in the 800,000 range or so. And that, you know, pay-per-view rise trickle in sometimes for upwards of a year. Um, but it didn't do as well, particularly with all of the marketing and uh, they, they really, I mean, there were ads during the Super Bowl for this fight, which was unprecedented. It's never happened. As far as I can remember for a boxing match, I've never seen it. Uh, it's a, that's available to over a hundred million people. There was no one, Nobody that would have wanted to know that didn't know about that fight. And um, for it to have done in the 800,000 range, while that's successful in comparison to any other pay-per-view fight in in this era, it's not successful based on how they marketed the fight and all of the money and time and energy that went into that. And I think one thing you have to remember too, to your point about how much time and energy and marketing they put into it, they are probably not going to have the marketing resources at their disposal in the fall like they did before. Um, you know, who knows if and when the NFL starts, who knows if and when college football starts. Uh, the NBA is going to be done in mid-October. So even if you put on ads during the finals, it's a long way between the end of the finals and Wilder versus Fury 3. Uh, plus, like, I-, I can't imagine networks that are losing money on advertising revenue committing free spots even if it's a 30 second spot in the finals or a 30 second spot during a december playoff game every spot and this is what kind of gets lost sometimes in the shuffle every spot that 
a, a network gives up, that's money they're not taking in. And, and they're hoping that it you know, pays off in the end with bigger pay-per-view buys. But it, I, I don't see this time around, I don't know about you, but I don't see this time around these networks eagerly willing to give the kind of free ad inventory that they have at their disposal as they were, they were the first time around. Yeah, what you're saying obviously makes sense, Chris. I just don't know that they almost have to though, right? I mean, because then you're asking to do even less, you know, p- p- the second fight was such, uh, was so one-sided and, and I'm not discounting Deontay Wilder's chances in the third fight because he's one of the most dev- devastating punchers in the history of boxing. So I, I don't think you could count him out of a fight. I, I'm not saying you could be confident that he would win the third fight, but I don't think it's some foregone conclusion that he's going to go in there and get stopped again or, you know, or be very one-sided to him lose a decision or something like that. But um, so I'm interested in seeing the third fight, but if they don't put the the marketing muscle behind it that they did for the first fight, now the Super Bowl, you know, depending on when the fight happens, Super Bowl uh, commercials and everything might not be available. But the point being, you know, I don't know that they could go about it in a lesser way because then that's asking to lose even more money than they lost on the first fight. So I, there's no easy answer there. But I, what you're saying makes sense. But I don't think they're going to just say, hey, well, you know, whatever. If it does 400000 it is what it is. I mean, because there's so much at stake here. And as you said, these networks are already losing money. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. But I do know that they're <laughs> based on the buy rate of the first fight and what's going on in the world. I can't see any way that they would even break even for the third fight. Yeah, the trick, I think, in promoting it is going to be trying to find a way to sell the public that Wilder has a chance to win. Now, you and I both know that with that type of one-punch power, you're still in every fight. And we've seen heavyweights going all the way back to George Foreman who have won big fights based on that one-punch knockout power. Uh, ESPN and Fox and top rank and PBC. They're gonna have to convince an audience though that a guy that yeah. was just so one-sidedly destroyed has that chance. That is gonna be a test, I think, of the promoting, you know, skills of Bob Arum and the marketing skills of ESPN uh, mm-hmm. and of uh, of Fox. Let me ask you about what's coming up in September. Speaking of a need to market a fight, uh, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones. All right, the two 50-plus-year-old former champions, uh, they are allegedly going to meet on September 12th uh, in California in an exhibition match. Eight rounds, no headgear, 12-ounce gloves. I believe I have those particulars right. Uh, And they're going to meet in the ring. How they meet in the ring is an open question. I mean, Andy Foster of the California State Athletic Commission has said to anybody that will listen that this is not going to be a real fight. That if these guys start throwing haymakers at each other, the referee, Ray Corona, is going to step in and tell them to knock it off. Meanwhile, you've got Mike Tyson and Roy Jones clearly trying to sell a fight and sell pay-per-views saying that they're going to knock each other's block off. So I'll ask you, Keith, uh, what do you make of Tyson versus Jones? And do you believe that at some point a real fight's going to break out? Well, at a pay-per-view price point of $50... Uh, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones are just saying what they have to say. Uh, what else are they going to say? They're not going to say we're going to go in there and just, you know, like dance around each other for a few rounds because no one would buy it. But it really speaks to why this shouldn't be happening or it's, or it certainly shouldn't be on pay-per-view for $50. I mean, if you want to charge 20 bucks or something like that, that's much more reasonable, but they've guaranteed certain amounts of money to Mike Tyson and Roy Jones. So it can't be $20 or whatever. It's less than a 
regular boxing pay-per-view, but it's far, 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 far less than a real boxing match. So, so it should be a lot less, even less than it is. But um, look, people are still fascinated with Mike Tyson. We've discussed this before, Chris. I think they'll be fascinated with Mike Tyson long after he's gone. And I understand that to a degree, but um, I expected him to fight Evander Holyfield in some sort of exhibition. I was sort of surprised when it was was Roy Jones when I found that out. But, um, you know, two of the biggest names in boxing history, uh, but it's not even a real exhibition. If Okay, I would say if it was a real exhibition and they were trying to beat each other, that's that's one thing, but it's not even that. So what is it? I mean, there's not going to be a winner or a loser. There's not going to be scores score, announced. They're not scoring the fight. If you can't score the fight, they're not scoring the fight, and you can't knock out your opponent. What is it? That's not even sparring. Like they're saying, oh, it'll be like a sparring match. Well, I've seen a lot of sparring matches in, in gyms all all over the place, and guys are trying to beat the crap out of each other. They're not going to be allowed to beat the crap out of each other. Now people are saying, oh, you know, Tyson, he's a little nuts, more than a little probably. And if he snaps and he goes after Roy Jones and blah, 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 they're just going to stop. If he does do that, they're just going to stop it immediately. So, and, and credit to Andy Foster, who basically has put as big a buyer beware sticker on this event as he possibly could. And credit to him because I'm sure he probably didn't even want to go along with this in any way. Um, and, he, and frankly, he didn't have to, but um, – at least he's letting people know that if you spend $50 on this, just realize what you're getting here. And anyone who buys it, look, people are free to do with their money, whatever they want. People do all kinds of crazy things and waste money in various ways. But if you spend $50 on this event, you do not have, you can't complain. You cannot complain. You, you just don't have the right to complain because you know, you've been warned by multiple people for the entire buildup of the event that it is not anything resembling a real fight. So if you buy it and you just want to see Mike Tyson and Roy Jones in the same ring together, okay, but you just can't complain about it based on what you get, which I can't imagine is going to be much. No, do not <laughs> grumble. Do not grumble on social media. Do not complain to your friends about what happened there because everyone that knows anything about this fight from Andy Foster on down is telling you that it's not going to be a real event. And I've seen on social media, even for some fighters, you know, I saw Ryan Garcia tweet out something like, I've never, I never got to see Mike Tyson yeah. in a real pay-per-view. It's like, well, you're not going to see him in one now. <laughs> that That's for sure. Like that's, right. that's not going to happen. I, I just, look, I, I would encourage, if you are looking to buy this fight, I would encourage you to first go on YouTube and find the exhibition Mike Tyson did with Corey Sanders, where Mike Tyson literally held Corey Sanders up after hitting him once to make sure he didn't fall down. Like there's, this could be significantly worse because both these guys are so far past their prime. It actually amazed me that Roy's only two years removed from actually fighting a real fight. That that yeah. I had forgotten about that to to an extent, but mm -hmm. this isn't going to be be a real thing. I mean, I. I, the, the, I don't know. The only thing that could happen that could raise a level of excitement would be as if Tyson catches Roy once, right? Before it can get too out of hand, if he just swings, catches Roy, who's been knocked out by far lesser punchers, especially yeah. in the latter stages of his career, if he catches Roy once, maybe that's your highlight real moment, and maybe maybe that will get you to the point of acceptance of paying that $50. But if you're looking for a, a brawl, 
it's not going to happen. Like the commission yeah. has been very clear. They will not let it happen no matter what these fighters are saying. Well, full disclosure, Chris, I'm ashamed to admit that I was in Youngstown, Ohio, the night that Mike Tyson fought Corey Sanders. Um, there you go. <laughs> but, but what I, you know, if you're looking to see Roy Jones get knocked out, you go on YouTube. You can see it all over the place. I mean, you know, Glenn Johnson, Antonio Tarver. Enzo Macronelli, Macronelli, uh, Dennis Lebedev. Lebedev. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you can see it. I mean, and in real fights, he was knocked cold. If the, for some reason that that interests you, you can see it as many times as you want. Um, I just, don't, I don't understand. Look, I don't, I just don't understand why people would buy this. Um, and now, you know, the, one of the things that you would think would be a good revenue stream for them would be the gate because you think people would, come, you know, they would make the tickets reasonably priced and people would come watch it. Well, people can't even come. So why? It, it seems like an odd time to do this event in the middle of a pandemic before there are going to be somewhere between three to five real pay-per-view fights, including one just two weeks later. And that's another thing, unfortunately, for the for the Charlo Showtime pay-per-view you know, this Tyson Jones thing could take some buyers away from the Charlo event because some people are going to decide between the two. The Tyson event is, even though it's not a real fight, is less money. They'll find other ways to stream the Showtime event, which they might do anyway. Um, but it's it's just a weird time for that event to happen. It shouldn't be happening ever, probably, but, it, but it's a weird time for it to be happening right in the middle of this pandemic when fans can't attend. So, um yeah, just just so many things at play there, Chris, that that make no sense. But uh, I don't. I honestly didn't know what Triller was until I found out that they were showing. I'm sure, that's not surprising to you, but uh, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I was not aware of Triller, and um, at least they're making it available on regular. If you do want to buy it, you don't have to use this app and you know watch it on your phone or what you know whatever other device you would use to watch it, but. Uh, I don't know. And, and the other thing that, that could be interesting here is Triller's never done a pay-per-view event. They have no experience doing real pay-per-view events. So are there going to be all kinds of technical issues and everything? Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, they, they know their business, obviously. They've built it up into, a, you know, it's worth a lot of money and all that. But doing a pay-per-view event and marketing a pay-per-view event, event the right way takes experience and they don't have that. So especially when you're you're selling sort of like a circus in some senses. They don't have any experience doing it. So no, the, and there, the there's no, there's no real promoter involved in this. Right. Uh, it, what is it like Island promotions is somehow involved, which I believe is a Roy Jones outfit. It's Pensacola based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Triller is, uh, you know, running the show there. But I mean, if, if it's true, and again, I, I preface everything by saying if it's true and allegedly, cause I'm still not, buying that this fight actually happens but if it's true that they're putting up 50 million in guaranteed money for this and i'd encourage people involved to make sure that money's an escrow account somewhere because i'd <laughs> want to be sure of that before these pay-per-view buys start rolling in i mean that's I, I don't know how you get that money back i think there will be people interested but marketing is going to be difficult you know you don't have traditional platforms i guess you're kind of relying on tyson's twitter account you know jones's word of mouth and you know, the boxing community finding out that Mike Tyson's back in the ring and being interested in this event. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. It could take buys away from the Charlo brothers, which is an interesting pay-per-view. Two high-level fights like we talked about on one pay-per-view. It's pretty good value if you're looking to to spend some money on a fight. And Tyson Jones could certainly take away from it. It also, it, it reminds me, and I, one of our favorite PR people, 
Kelly Swanson had this tweet uh, after the Tyson Jones uh, uh, announcement came out wondering why boxing people were discussing Tyson Jones and not writing about the Showtime calendar. Well, isn't it an indictment of what boxing's done in recent years that Tyson versus Jones still has writers like you, me, Kevin Ioli, who broke the story, uh, others Mm -hmm. running to their laptops to write about it and get details about it? I mean, that, that to me isn't a reflection on the writers. It's a reflection on boxing and that Tyson and Jones still does more traffic and generates more interest than any fights that could be announced or are being announced in boxing. Yeah, I, I mean, in Kelly's case, she's just protecting the brand, so to speak. I mean, she obviously works for Al Heyman and, and does promotion for PBC on Fox and PBC on Showtime. So I, I don't, you know, I understand what she says. That's fine. Sure. But, um, but at the same time, people remain fascinated with Mike Tyson. And, and as much as I would prefer for this not to exist, because I don't think any good can come of it in terms of boxing's reputation, there are, there's no bigger name in boxing now and maybe never will be again than Mike Tyson. So he's 54 years old. He has not boxed in, if you, if you count the Corey Sanders exhibition, 14 years. But people are still fascinated with him, Chris. And, and you know, we discussed this the last time I was on the podcast about people saying that Mike Tyson could come back to win a heavyweight championship of the world. And I don't mean beating Trevor Bryan for the WBA interim title. I'm saying beating Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder if he were to come back and win the titles. I mean, like the real champions. People believe that. I mean, main, mainstream sports fans that don't follow boxing all that often, they believe that Mike Tyson still – I don't know why you would believe that based on what happened in his last two real fights in 2004 and 2005, but there are people that believe that. And if there are enough of those people who still want to see whatever's left of Mike Tyson and whatever kind of fight this actually is, you know, maybe they'll do more pay-per-view buys than we expect. But I don't – $50 is not – small amount of money to see something that you know is not a real fight between a a guy who hasn't fought in 15 years and a guy who shouldn't have fought in 15 years. So, um, you know, good luck to them. And and we have to write about it to some extent because, because, because boxing fans and non-boxing fans are interested. And I'll say this, the traffic on our website for those Roy Jones, Mike Tyson stories, especially when the story first broke and the, and the, and the stories that follow stories that were written after that, they generated a lot of traffic because because he's Mike Tyson and, and you know Roy Jones is a huge name in boxing too. He's not as much of a name, you know, outside of the realm of boxing as Mike Tyson, but he's a pretty big name also. So, um, but again, if you buy this pay per view event, good luck to you. Yeah, just know what you're going to get uh, out of this pay per view. I'm with you on the traffic stuff too. I mean, I'm down here in Orlando covering the NBA. When this fight was announced, I went running to my back to my room to write about it because I know there would be genuine interest in Tyson versus Roy Jones, and I'm sure I'll be writing about it in the days leading up because people want to hear about it. People want to read about it, and even if we're critiquing it, I mean, it's still something that I think is worth uh, writing about in the buildup. Um, let me finish with Adrian Broner, and I bring him up because like he talks a lot, and not all of it, in fact, most of it isn't very good, But Broner's been inactive since January of 2019. He's been very inactive over the last three years, uh, fighting just sparingly and not winning much at all uh, since his move up from 135 pounds. He's now making some noise about moving back down to 135 pounds. And it piqued my interest, Keith, because while his level of competition at 135 and below was nowhere near what it was 
at or it is at 135 and above or above 135 he still strikes me as a guy much better fit for the lightweight division than he is for 140 or 147 now like you i'm sure i have my doubts that he can actually make 135 pounds but him saying he wanted to fight back there again and do it full time that interested me what was your reaction to broner suggesting he could return to lightweight well no one sells himself better than adrian broner right i mean he he he's not fighting at 135 pounds he can barely make 140 pounds and and that was has been an issue for him uh, he's older now. He's thir- you know he's he's another one of those guys, Chris, where he's younger than people probably think because he's been at the top level for so long. He's been a you know high profile fighter for quite some time. So he's, I believe he's thirty one years old now. Um, he's not making one hundred and thirty five pounds. I know that. You know that. It's just not physically possible. You know he's older now, and he and he's had a lot of difficulty making one hundred and forty pounds. So he's not going to fight at one. If he if he were able to do that, if I thought that was a legitimate possibility. Yeah, throw Adrian Broner into the mix with all these young guys at lightweight and let him fight one of those young up-and-coming guys. Um, but and I'm not sure he would do that. I mean, he's not Adrian Broner going to fight Ryan Garcia or um, you know Tiafimo Lopez or someone like you know someone at that level that that there's a good chance that he would lose against. I, I don't know. I think he was. I think he's going to fight older, more established fighters where he would make a lot of money and at least have some chance to win. I mean, you know. But he's been very inactive. Um, he hasn't fought since he fought Pacquiao, which is a year and a half ago, basically now. Um, he made a lot of money for that fight. Uh, I know he has a lot of financial obligations to his children and, and you know, other, other issues that he's had in his life and everything. But uh, so it's not like he's not going to fight again. Um, but I've been told that he's going to come back sometime in January. Um, I, I haven't heard anything about opponents or anything yet. I think he's going to come back somewhere between 140 and 147 at some sort of contracted catch weight, fight a reasonable opponent. I don't think anyone that necessarily will beat him because he's going to be shaking off a lot of rust. Uh, but to, to an- the short answer to your question is no, I do not think he'll fight at 135 pounds ever again. Uh, but we will see him back in the ring, I think, uh, you know, at the very beginning of 2021. You know, when it comes to Broner, my question is often, what, was he ever good, right? Like, he was popular. You know, his ratings reflect that. But I'm not sure he was ever good. And I don't look at the, you know, number of divisions he won championships in. I mean, that's just, that's all just kind of goofy. There's so many titles you can go out there and win. If you look at his resume at 135 and under, what's the best win on it? Is it Antonio DeMarco? Is it Vicente Escobedo? I mean, there aren't a lot of, there aren't any real, you know, mega names on that resume, when he moved up, he didn't beat any of the guys that he fought at 140 and 147, those catchweights uh, in between. I've often wondered, like, was he just, like, perfectly matched in his rise from the 120s into 135? Or was it when he jumped up, his lack of, his inability to take care of himself and to not blow up in between fights and control the drinking and control the partying? Was that what ultimately took him down. Where do you stand on that? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, some of his behavior outside of the ring contributed to him not realizing his potential. He's a very talented fighter. When you ask, was he good? Yeah, he was certainly good. Uh, Was he great? I don't think he was ever great. Um, His win against DeMarco, I think, uh, which was in Atlantic City, I believe in 2012, 
Uh, it was his best win at lightweight. I think that uh, he won the WBC uh, lightweight title, I believe, from uh, DeMarco. So, um, so that was a good win for him. But, but yeah, I mean, most times or every time, really, when he stepped up against a top opponent, he lost. Uh, you know, Sean Porter, uh, Manny Pacquiao, Mikey Garcia. You know, he's lost a lot of these fights. You know, there's some other fights that you could argue that he lost. Age people, some people think he lost Adrian Granados. I mean, Granados certainly feels that way. Um, you know, that was a close fight that could have gone either way. You could certainly argue that Broner won. Jesse uh, Vargas, same thing. Jesse, Jesse Var- yeah, Jesse Vargas, which was after the uh, Granados fight. So, um, and and Vargas is a very good fighter. So, and and Granados, I think, is not as good as Vargas, but but a but a tough guy who never stops coming and has given a lot of other opponents trouble. But there's certain, but he, Adrian Granados is not an elite fighter, and Adrian Broner was still in his physical prime. He still is when he fought Granados a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, you could certainly pick apart Adrian Broner's resume if you want to. And, uh, and, and like you mentioned, Chris, the thing about him being a four division champion, I don't blame it on Broner. I mean, he's just taking advantage of the system that's in place, but he's been very well promoted, very well marketed. Um, you know, I, I feel bad for Broner in the sense that I do think he, he deals with some, uh, mental issues and some emotional issues that he that you know and you know you, you want to have compassion for somebody when you feel that they are uh, you know they're struggling in their lives and and I think there's been evidence of that on social media uh, so I try to take that into account um, but he is he can be a funny guy I mean he can he can certainly do things that that kind of make you cringe uh, he's done plenty of that. Um, but he can be an entertaining guy and he's certainly a polarizing guy and the ratings reflect that. And that's the most interesting thing, Chris, because whatever anyone thinks of Adrian Broner's resume and what he's accomplished in the ring, every time that Showtime puts him on the air, the ratings are very good. And that's not a coincidence. People want to see Adrian Broner. Now, as some of it is the Floyd Mayweather effect. They want to, I'm not putting him in the category of Floyd Mayweather as a, as a fighter, of course, but they want to see him lose. You know, there are not, as many people or maybe more that want to see Adrian Broner lose that want to see him win. So, you know, the, the, it, there's something to that. As long as you're going to keep drawing ratings, they're going to keep paying you. Now, if he starts getting knocked out in fights as he gets older, as he gets into his mid-30s, if that starts happening, well, well then I don't know that people will be as interested in watching him fight. But for now, I, I'll say this. If he comes back and fights on Showtime on uh, in January or February – the ratings will be better for that fight probably than any other fight that Showtime will televise from now until December. And there are some good, you know, there's some solid fights on there, some good fights that uh, that Donaire Wally fight is a very good fight. But Broner will do better ratings than that, despite not having fought in a year and a half, well, it would be two years at that point, and not having won a significant fight in how long? Yeah. Um, one thing about Broner that I try to keep, keep in mind too is that beyond the cartoonish kind of behavior, the the vulgarity at press conferences, all that, like there's a lot of depth to him. I remember going to his training camp in Colorado Springs before he fought Maidana when things started to really go downhill after that and just spending time with him there and you know getting to know him and, and his journey, like how he came mm-hmm. up. I mean, it was, it was rough, man. I mean, he's got a, a really compelling backstory about how he got up until this point, it's just kind of starting to slip away from him a little bit. And look, if he comes back at a catch weight, I would assume that the plan would be to get eventually down to 140 pounds. I just don't yeah. know what the pathway is to, 
you know, a high level fight there. I mean, you've got the two champions that are there for the time being, right? Like Jose Ramirez is going to get to that Josh Taylor fight and then he's going to move up to get to the Jamal Crawford game. Same thing probably with Taylor whenever he's done with that fight. And then when you look at that landscape, you're going to have those 135s coming up. You're going to have Devin Haney coming up. You're going to have Teofimo Lopez coming up. Even if you can make those fights, if you can move over to the top ranked side and make Lopez, move over to the Eddie Hearn side and make Devin Haney, um, I wouldn't make him a favorite in any of those fights at this point. I just, no. I can see, I can see another run being kickstarted for Adrian Broner, a win in January, maybe another one three or four months later. But when you get to a tough fight, unless something significantly changes, I don't know how you make him, I don't know how he wins those tough fights. You're right, Chris. I'll say, you know, he's going to be the guy whose name other guys try to use to build their careers. And and that's where he is in his career now. Now, maybe he gets motivated enough or, you know, or he wins somehow wins one of these fights and his career could change at that point, but there's no evidence that that's going to happen, but he's still a marketable fighter. And I, you know, the thing for him though, is what he would be looking to accomplish at 140 pounds. He's already done. He, Mikey Garcia is the best fighter. I know Mikey's a, technically a welterweight now, but he's really a 40 pounder. He's already fought the best 40 pounder and he lost definitively. He lost. He's, you know, at welterweight, he's already fought Manny Pacquiao. Like what, what else is he going to, I mean, it's not like people are going to want to see him fight Errol Spence or any of these other welterweights. Um, so he's already done at 147 and what 140, what could be done. I still think he'll fight at 140 because that's where he's best suited. Mostly because I don't think he can make 135 pounds. But yeah, he's going to be the guy. Like he might be the A side in terms of having a bigger name than the other fighters, but he would be the B side in terms of competition and a guy that they'd be looking to use, so to speak, to propel their own careers. And and that's that's the boat that he's going to be in, whether he likes it or not. I mean, you know, but he is valuable in the sense that he's still a very you know polarizing, well-known fighter uh, who draws ratings, and as long as he's some semblance of competitive in these fights, he's going to continue to get big fights. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's going to have to you know, earn his way back into you know sort of the upper echelon of fighters, and I'm not I'm not exactly sure how he does at this point. I think I think they'll build him slowly in 2021 with some very winnable fights right off the bat. But by the second half of the year, if they put him in tough, something's going to have to give. Something's got to change for him to to win those fights in my mind. Uh, Keith, always appreciate it, man. Always great stuff. At the very least, it's good to have boxing back and have real stuff to talk about and not, you know, pandemic what-ifs at this point. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, ta- I'll take that at this point, Keith. Yeah, I'm with you, Chris. I mean, there's a lot of boxing coming up, you know, a lot of Saturdays where there'll be three cards every Saturday coming up. Uh, so other than not having fans at the fights and a lot of other things that we have to deal with uh, with the pandemic, at least we're getting back to some sense of normalcy in boxing and, uh, yeah, it's uh, looking forward to it too. Do and you do you have do you have a first show that you're planning on attending? Do you have anything on the calendar yet that you're thinking about going to? Yeah, I'm planning to attend the uh, Showtime show up at Mohegan Sun on uh, August 15th with David Benavidez against Romero and Gulo in the main event. Um, it's drivable from you know I live in New Jersey. It's maybe two and a half hours away. Mm-hmm. You know we have to go into quarantine and everything up there. So I'm just I'm gonna see how that goes and then go from there. I mean, I'm not looking forward to getting on. I know you obviously uh, flew to Orlando for the NBA. I'm not looking to fly anytime soon if it's not necessary, but, uh, but this is a drive. I, I'm going to cover as long as all the Showtime fights are at Mohegan Sun. I'm planning on covering all of those, assuming that the media is allowed. 
Uh, but I am, I'm planning to cover that card next week and, uh, I'll let you know how that bubble experience is. I'm sure it's a little different than the one you're in down there, which I'm sure is pretty good, right? Well, enjoy the COVID test when you get there. I'm not <laughs> sure what they're doing. They've been they've been a little bit lighter on the COVID test here with the shallow swabs. If you've got to take that brain tickler, I uh, oof. Good good luck to you, my I, friend. I might not make it to fight night if I have to do that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy, Keith. I appreciate your time, man. Anytime, Chris. Good luck, man. Coming up next, former two division champion Carl Frampton. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. All right, Carl Frampton is here, the uh, two-division world champion. He is back in action on August 15th in a fight that you can see uh, live on ESPN here in the U.S., although he's going to be fighting somebody else that we learned just earlier today. Carl joins me on the show. Carl, first, uh, new opponent, right? I mean, what, what's, what's been going on with the opponent? It's been a bit of a mess, to be honest. Um, the opponent that I originally had uh, is <laughs> he can't get a visa, um, so he can't get into the country. Obviously, things are a little bit more difficult with um, the worldwide pandemic that, that is ongoing at the minute. Um, and that's the main issue. But we've we've got other guys, I think, that we're talking to um, currently. Um, there's been a guy on standby. MTK kind of thought that this might have been an issue. So they, they've been paying a guy um, to train for the last four weeks just in case this arose, this situation arose, which has. So potentially it could be him. I, I don't want to say his name yet until, until we get it confirmed. But... I, I'm pretty sure I'll have an opponent that I will be fighting on, on the, the 15th of August. 
How comfortable are you going to be fighting somebody that you weren't necessarily preparing for on the 15th? It's, well, it's not ideal, is it? But, um, you know, whoever's coming in will have had the same amount of time to prepare for me as I've had to prepare for them. So, um, and I've been in training now for about 10 weeks, so I'm in, I'm in good shape. My weight's good. I still don't know. I still don't know what weight I'm going to be fighting at. Um, hoping, <laughs> hoping it to be 130. Um, but I suppose if you're getting an opponent in at late notice, it may be above 130. Um, you know, I probably know as much as you at this point, but I'm confident that I will get an opponent very soon. 2020 has been a pretty weird year, huh? It has, yeah, it has, for everyone. Um, it hasn't been great for me either. Um, it's just, yeah, if if I didn't have bad luck, I don't think I'd have any luck. It's just, it's just the, way things, <laughs> the way things are going. Um, and and a, a guy that I'm looking to fight, Jamel Herring, exactly the same boat as me uh, in terms of, of mishaps and things going wrong. Um, so it, 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 hasn't, it hasn't been a great year. Yeah, what have you been thinking watching a guy like Herring, who you're, you know, penciled in to face at some point later this year, possibly uh, in a title fight? I mean, he's not only lost a fight once, he's lost a fight twice. Now he's training for the third time uh, to get into the ring against Jonathan Akendo. What have you been thinking watching that unfold over the last couple of months? I, I feel extremely sorry for him, um, and, and I understand what it's like. And I, I know Jamel. Like myself, he trains away from home. He leaves his family um, and he goes and trains. He leaves his, his, his children and his wife behind. Um, and I'm sure that it, it would always feel like a, a wasted time away from family. Uh, it's got to be hard to deal with, but I, I know that Jamel, I don't know him personally, but the impression I have of him is that he's mentally a very strong person. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure he'd be able to deal with it. And the thing with me is in this situation as well as I feel like I'm mentally a strong person. I think we'll get it sorted. How challenging, Carl, has this year been for you, not just professionally, but personally? I mean, having this pandemic you know, effectively shut the world down, the UK included. I mean, what have you had to kind of deal with over these last four months? Um, it, well... You know, I, I, I suppose it's the same as me, same for me as it is, has been for everyone else. Um, in this game of boxing, obviously, there's a lot of things going on at the minute, fighting behind closed doors. I was supposed to fight Jamel Harain. I think June 13th was the proposed date. Um, it was almost all done. And then what's happened has happened. I've been, I've been lucky enough that I've got a bit of a, a gym at home, so I've been training. Um, but I've been away. I've been over here in Manchester, where I where I normally train with my team now for about ten weeks. So I I've got a good kind of solid base behind me. I'm fit. And I'm ready. I'm really ready to hit the ground running when things just open up again. Well, what kind of precautions are you taking to make sure that the coronavirus doesn't impact your training and hopefully not your fight on the fifteenth? Well, same as everybody else, really. Um, masks when I'm out and around. Um, washing hands constantly to the point where um, they're very sore and they're cracking and, and dehydrated. But <laughs> I've also I've also been. Um, I normally fly home 
every weekend. So the flight from Belfast to Manchester is, is literally 50 minutes. Um, I don't feel comfortable getting on flights just yet. So I've been getting the, the overnight ferry every second weekend rather than every weekend, which takes nine hours. Um, but you can get a cabin. So I, I get this boat from Belfast to, to Manchester. I get a cabin. I'm alone. Nobody comes anywhere near me. But I, I feel like that's a precaution that I, I have to take just to not pick up pick up the virus. How does that does that wear on you at all mentally, You know, being alone as often as you are? Um, not really, because I'm used to it, and I've been doing it my whole career. Um, I don't. I miss my family, obviously. I miss my kids, and I miss my wife. But I enjoy my own company sometimes. Um, I don't mind <laughs> sitting down, reading a book, watching a bit of Netflix or whatever. Um, so I, yeah, I I can deal with it okay. I can I can relate to that. I'm I'm also okay with uh, a, a long yeah. night of afternoon of Netflix. That's uh it's not a bad way to spend a day. Uh, how you know for people that you know aren't, aren't in the U.S. that aren't uh, clear on how things are going over in the U.K. What do you see when you go out? What do you see when you're you're around um, you know the people over there about how they're treating this coronavirus? Because I can tell you in the U.S. we're still a disaster. Like we don't know, you know, there are still people that think masks are you know, a myth that it doesn't work to protect yourself that way. What are you seeing over in the UK? Well, I see that. I think it's been a bit of a disaster over here as well um, in terms of casualties and, and, and how the government have dealt with it. But where I am at the minute, I'm in Manchester. There's been a bit of a lockdown, not not as strict as it was at the start, but there's been a, a, an upsurge in, in the amount of coronavirus victims and uh, and people contracting the disease, so there's been a, a little bit of a kind of it's not a, not an extreme lockdown, but there's been a few precautions taken by people. Less people are out in the street, but when you do see people on the street, I would say I would say ninety percent are wearing masks, um, and obviously you've got some people who who don't want to wear them uh, and don't feel like they need to wear them. But I would say that most. Most of the population are are taking it pretty seriously. You know, it's been kind of a roller coaster of the last four years from you. You got to kind of the top when you beat Leo Santa Cruz in 2016. Lost a year later, you come back. You beat Nonito Donaire in a big fight, and then you lose to Josh Warrington. When you look at the two losses, the Santa Cruz loss in the rematch and the Warrington fight, did one was one worse than the other, or did they both feel the same? I think, um, yeah, obviously I was upset when I lost both times. I wanted to win the fights. Um, I was confident I could have won the fights. I think the Warrington fight for me, though, was the, was the hardest one to get over because I feel like I didn't perform at all. Um, I feel like, I, I just feel like it wasn't me uh, and there's a lot more to give. And, and he won the fight fair and square, but I, I got it wrong on the night. And I feel like that's a fight that I could avenge if if I got the chance for a rematch again. The Santa Cruz fight, great, brilliant fight, both of them. Um, should have been a third fight, but obviously um, there hasn't been, which is a shame, but it's through no fault of my own. I, I've wanted to fight. I, I was happy to travel to LA to fight him. He knows that, his team knows that. But um, the Warrington fight, I would say, hurt me more than the, than the Santa Cruz loss. 
Did those two Santa Cruz fights, do you feel like they took anything out of you? I mean, they were brilliant fights. I mean, fight of the year uh, type contest. Did You know, when you go through that twice, did they take anything out of you? I don't think so. And, and the, you know, you could ask the same question about the Warrington defeat as well, um, which was another great fight. Um, but if you'd have seen me sparring last night, uh, I know people talk about this all the time, but I felt like, and I spoke to my team about it. It's the best I performed in sparring in years. I feel like I'm rolling back the years. And, and whether that's to do with the campus changed slightly this time, we're doing less rounds of sparring because it was a struggle to get sparring partners in. We weren't allowed to spar. The British Board of Control didn't allow sparring um, up until around four or five weeks ago. Um, so I've been training, training smarter this time than normally. And I think that that's, that's helping me. But if you'd have seen me sparring last night, you'd have, I, don't, I don't think any, you know, any of these fights that I've had, any of these hard fights have, have really taken anything away from me. You've said numerous times, you just said it again, that you, know, you wanted that third fight with Leo Santa Cruz badly. Why do you think that never happened? Can you pinpoint it to one thing or one reason why that third fight didn't come about? Um, there's probably a number of reasons. Um, ultimately the fight could have happened if he wanted it to happen um, that's 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 the main issue here um, there's a, there's another reason that I can't really say because it would probably get me in a lot of trouble legally but um, <laughs> yeah it's just a, it's a shame it really is a shame but I think it'll be more of a blotch on his career when we look back respectively at the end of our careers and, and people ask the question why did the third fight never happen uh, I think it'll be more of a blotch on him than it is on me have you completely given up hope that could happen I mean you are presumably going to be in a world title fight at 130 pounds at some point later this year Leo is in a very tough fight with Gervonta Davis later this year but it is going to be for 130 pound uh title i mean do you think as any part of you still want that fight especially if both of you guys come out with wins yeah i want the fight certainly but i i just don't i just don't see it ever happening um and mm. I, that's a shame but um again again i've i've tried i've tried to have this fight i've wanted the fight um but yeah it's just it's just a shame that it never happened you had said that after the Warrington fight, you were considering, you know, your career. Would you retire? Would you keep going forward? Uh, what was that process like, and how did you come to the decision to keep your career going? Um, I did. I did reflect, kind of over the new year um, when 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 Josh beat me. I was upset with myself. Um, I thought about I thought about retirement, but I think the main issue was I didn't want to go out on a fight like that because. I knew there was so, I was still a better fighter than that performance, and I wanted to show people that that I am a better fighter than that. Um, and I got it wrong in the night. It wasn't a case of me being over the hill; it was a case of me getting my tactics wrong. And I hold my hands up to that and, and take full responsibility. Um, so that was it, really. Once once I thought about that and had that kind of thought process, and I spoke to MTK, my team, the deal with Top Rank then came up, and and when. In my opinion, top rank, you know, the biggest promotional outfit on the planet, when they come calling and saying, we think we can make you a world champion again, we'll give you the opportunity against Jamel Herring. 
I had to take it, and uh, I'm confident that I'm confident that I can become a world champion. Was Herring the fight that you have been eyeballing all along? I know you were scheduled to face him, but you know, for the last, you know, as you kind of made this second run at a world championship, I mean, was he the one that you identified as as the guy you wanted to fight? Yeah, I think so. And, and it, our names have been mentioned alongside each other for probably about a year now. So. Um, and I knew that he was with top rank, and I knew that you know he's looking for opponents all the time. There's not a lot of opponents seem to want to fight Jamel Herring, but I, you know, I'm I'm standing up here and, and saying that I'll fight him. I'm I'm happy to fight him. Um, he seems like that he wants to give me the opportunity. So you know, there's a, there's a mutual respect between me and Jamel, um, and I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that the fight will happen at some point very soon. It's a good division that you're in, especially being aligned with top rank, it's, you know, several of the champions are over there. I mean, it's not just, it might not be just one fight for you. It could be multiple big fights over the next 18 months. Yeah. Burchelt, um, what a fighter, um, probably the number one guy in the division, I would say. Um, but even, even someone like Oscar Valdez, although he's not a champion, it's a huge fight for me. And, and, and we're talking about me and him fighting as featherweights. Um, we have a bit of a rivalry, again, a mutual respect between me and Oscar, but that's another fight that, that really interests me. Before I let you go, um, it's interesting. British boxing politics have been a lot like in the U.S. with promoters not working together. Recently, you've had Frank Warren come out and say, Eddie Hearn and I should do business together. Tell me as someone who is over there, how likely do you think that is? Knowing those two parties, and what would that mean for British boxing if you know these two fighters can, or these two promoters can work together? Well, first of all, what it would mean if the two top promoters in the UK could get their top fighters fighting each other, it would be huge for British boxing. It'd be huge for world boxing, um, and they could make some incredible matchups. Um, it's interesting that that both guys. They're normally really at, at loggerheads and um, criticizing each other constantly. Um, but I think the latest interviews that I've seen, both of them seem optimistic as if they could try and make fights happen. So hopefully hopefully something comes off from that and it's not just hearsay and, and a, a little bit of talk. Um, but who knows? This game... <laughs> you know what it's like promoters working with each other it's difficult sometimes hopefully they can all kind of get together and, and make the big fights happen oh believe me top rank with bob arum don king you know even eddie hearn now and, and bob arum I mean, it's the politics always get in the way uh that that's for sure uh well good luck on august 15th carl we are looking forward to it no matter who you fight there and hopefully in the fall jamel herring that's going to be a huge fight probably here or either or there or in the u.s uh looking forward to that as well thanks for joining me man thanks chris all the best All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. 
and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.